The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. There is a time for There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Showtime! Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland, and welcome, one and all, to Night Fright. Get the coffee going, get the tea going, or a beverage of your choice going. Tonight's a great night to settle in, get your feet up on the comfy couch, on the comfy chair, get the comforter up and over you, because it is freezing here in Kingston, Ontario. I am so ready for spring. You have no idea. I was out actually getting a petition together to ask the government to bring spring in a few m months earlier this year because it's so cold. It is nippy out there. Get the hot chocolate going. Tonight we're going to delve into what is defined as the study of hidden animals, better known as cryptozoology, with our guest Dina West Budd, an author of the book The Wiser Guide. Wiser Guide. I did this last week too. <laughs> <laughs> the wiser. Let me start over. Tonight we delve into what is defined as the study of hidden animals, with our guest Dina West Bud, author of the book The Wiser Field Guide to Cryptozoology. Here are some of the cryptids we're going to be exploring tonight: werewolves, dragons, yeah, skyfish, lizard men and other fascinating creatures, real and mysterious. Our guest tonight, Dina West-Budd, is author of the book, The Wiser Field Guide to Cryptozoology. She has also had several, ready for this? Frightening personal paranormal experiences, and I was reading about them today, and indeed they are terrifying. And for sure, we will get into that tonight. All the way from Missouri, I want to welcome Dina West-Budd, to the show for the very first time. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you for asking me. It's so nice to be here. Okay, let's jump in right away. When I was reading a little bit about your bio and the book and things, I found out that as you were growing up as a wee one, there were things for real, and that's the terrifying part, that were under your bed at night. Now, every kid likes to jump in bed and get their feet up as quickly as possible because there's always something that is tantalizingly about to reach out from underneath the bed and grab your feet. In this particular case, this was somewhat real for you. What happened, Dina? I was a teenager, and I was living in Socorro, New Mexico, 
and I love to explore abandoned houses and that kind of thing. So a friend of mine knew of this really neat abandoned house in the middle of the desert about, oh, um, 45 miles south of Albuquerque. And so we decided to take a little road trip and it was, uh, it was close to, to midnight probably. And we get to this house and it is such a cool house with this big wraparound porch, you know, it was really neat and it's hard to believe it was abandoned. And so we're getting ready to walk up into the house and he opens the door for me and I walk in and I see these two red eyes hovering up in, in yes, hovering there up in the air, you know, just like Amityville, Amityville. Horror. Yeah. Uh, we just left because I was freaked out. And um, we get to his house, I get in my car and I drive home and, and I go to bed and I'm laying in bed and I'm, a, I'm asleep, but I wake up and my bed is vibrating. And I mean, it's just really shaking. So I, I look all around in the room to see if anything else was vibrating in the room, you know, and nothing else was, just my bed. And I was so scared. I didn't really know what to do. I had my back up against the headboard for a long, long time, probably an hour and a half to two hours. And then I, because I was afraid to, to reach over and turn on the light, I, I was afraid to do that. Well, then something tugged on my covers twice. And I lived alone. There, I had no pets, nothing. I lived totally alone. And something tugged on my covers twice. And that you know, that compelled me to jump up so that I'm standing up in my bed. And, and then I reach over and turn on the bedside lamp and I leap off the bed and I go running through my house and I find my box of books and I find my Bible in there and I just start reading from the Bible randomly and, and I start um, saying things like, this is my house, you know, and, and you're not scaring me from my own home, you need to leave and things like that. And I did that for probably a couple of hours and then I went back to bed and my bed was still vibrating. It was still vibrating. And I don't know how, now I think, you know, how did I have the nerve to do that? Because I don't know that I would now. I don't, I don't feel quite as brave as I've gotten older as I, as I did then. But um, yeah, I went back to bed. I put my Bible under my pillow and I just kept praying and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, my bed was not vibrating and it, it did not happen again. That incident did not happen again. Oh my God. So we can rule out the possibilities when your bed was vibrating of any type of seismic activity or anything like that because nothing else was shaking. Right. Wow. What? And then the tugging on my cover. I mean, these are yeah. two strong tugs. That was just, that was unbelievable. Oh, I can't believe that even happened. <laughs> Were you living alone at the time? Were you living with your parents? Yes, totally. Oh, my God. Living alone. There was no one else that lived in that house. I had no pets, you know. It was just me. No okay. one had access to come in there. 30 years on now, looking back at that episode, speculation, what do you think? Did you bring something home that perhaps... I have to wonder if I didn't. I, I think that I, I must have, you know. And then in later years, with... See, I've, I've used a Ouija board since I was a kid. Really? And it didn't really frighten me. It always worked. And it would frighten my friends, but it would never frighten me. But then things started happening when I was older in later years after I moved back to Missouri that make me wonder if, you know, if this was not something that kind of was with me or came back to me at different periods of my life, this, maybe this demon, perhaps. I mean, I'm afraid to even think that that might be what it is, but 
I had so many incidents with the Ouija board. And then um, I, I'm sure you've heard of Zozo. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Good segue. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that was really the most frightening thing that's ever happened to me because, um, you know, I, I was... I was using the Ouija board. A friend of mine had passed away, and I found him. And, and um, I thought, my goodness, you know, I hadn't used the Ouija board in years. And I thought, what a perfect time to, to try it again, to, to try that, to use that again, because, you know, he had just passed away that day. So a friend of mine, who had been with me when I found him, but who did not know this individual at all, had never met him, he did, did the Ouija board with me. And so he knew nothing about this individual. And, oh, my goodness, I'm telling you, it was like my friend Murph was waiting for me because the minute we put our fingers on the planchette, it was flying all over, and we couldn't keep up with it all night long, hour after hour, till our backs ached, and we had to stop. And then we'd, we'd take a break and go back, and he was waiting. And he answered all of our questions. It was definitely Murph. It was definitely my friend. It was his sense of humor. Was and there was something very... in particular, Dina, that he responded to? that really validated the fact that this was indeed your, your lost friend, Murph? Some of the little sayings that he would say, okay. you know, he, he was kind of an old hippie, and he had certain little catchy phrases that only he would say, and he said them, you know. And it's just everything, he knew about everything that I would ask him about, and, and he, um, it was so nice to know that he was finally at peace because he had not been at peace in the last years of his life. He'd been, he had a miserable existence and he was at peace and that was really wonderful to hear. It was such a positive, encouraging experience. So then why I did this, I don't know, but the next night I decided to try the Ouija board again by myself and it worked by myself. That planchette started moving around, but it didn't take me very long to figure out it was not Murph. You know, Murph had, had gone on by that point and it was saying all this crazy stuff and it started saying that um, you know that danger and it started saying Zozo is coming and I'd never heard that term Zozo before and this has been you know this has been nearly 20 years ago this experience with the Ouija board at that when this happened this this was before there was really you know usage of the internet was prevalent you know this was before all that That's right. so anyway I'm using that Ouija board and it's saying all this stuff about Zozo so I immediately quit using it and I, I um, was running a radio station then and um, I had access to the internet so I went back to work the next day and I started trying to to find out if there was anything on the internet about about Zozo and there was nothing nothing absolutely nothing so I kinda just forgot about it for a few years in the meantime my daughter becomes a teenager, and she didn't know where my Ouija board was, but she went out and bought a glow-in-the-dark Ouija board. You know, I mean, they market them to even children nowadays. It's frightening. But So I was at work, and she was using that Ouija board with a friend, and it all seemed harmless until I get home from work, and I'm getting ready to open up the door and walk in. And right then, the Ouija board spells, the planchette spells out, Hello, Dina, like it was waiting for me. And it started talking about Zozo again, right, right then, all over again. And you know, it had been, and it was this was years later, and it freaked my daughter out, of course, because it was saying scary things. So she quit using it immediately. She even actually went and talked to a Catholic priest about it, even though you know we aren't Catholic. But um, so I went on, you know, I went on the internet. It was prevalent then. I went on the internet, and Zozo was everywhere, everywhere. Everybody was talking about. 
the demon of the Ouija board, which I had not even heard about before my own experience, you know. So that was that was so frightening, you know, and what did the Catholic priest tell your daughter? What advice did he pass on? He didn't really he wasn't that frightened about it. He just gave her reassurance and you know, told her that to pray and things like that, and he thought that she would be fine. He he didn't give her a whole lot of advice, really. Okay. was Is this a recurrence now in your present-day life? Does Zozo kind of make his presence known? When I used the, I did not use the Ouija board for several years because I, I don't want, you know, I live alone with my dog. I don't want I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> I just would assume not not even invite him in, you know. <laughs> Folks, our guest tonight, Dina Westbud. The book is called The Wiser Field Guide to Cryptozoology: Werewolves, Dragons, Skyfish, Lizardmen, and Other Fascinating Creatures, Real and Mysterious. And we're going to get into the real part in just a second. Triple W dot nightfrightshow.com click on tonight's guest book cover that'll take you as always right to a spot where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home and hopefully you're all tucked in down you're getting ready for some really really creepy stories that we're going to share with you tonight as if the intro to this show hasn't been creepy enough okay let's get into it what is your story about werewolves much like vampires, you know, stories about werewolves have been around forever for just, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So you don't hear too much about werewolf sightings anymore. I think vampires have become more prevalent than werewolves, actually. But werewolves are, are when I was a kid, I found that they were the most frightening because if you didn't have a gun with a silver bullet in it, there was just no way you were going to live through that experience. <laughs> but I had to throw a, a chapter in there about werewolves be, just because, you know, they are one of the most fascinating cryptids that has ever existed, in, in my opinion. Dina, you said you before you had your own personal experiences with cryptids. Can you tell us one of those? I can actually tell you about one that was just this last August. And this was really an amazing thing because um, all within a week's time, right here in Hannibal locally, um, a, a chupacabra was spotted. And I spotted it. I was walking with my dog over by the high school. And it was, um, I don't know, probably around 11 o'clock at night. And I, um, we saw this creature. And it was, oh, I don't know. Um, maybe a hundred feet from us and it was a little bigger than a cat and it was moving so oddly and it had its its back to us and my dog he's getting kind of old now so he didn't really didn't really notice it at first and so the creature is kind of moving in a jerky movement a very odd manner and his coloring seemed kind of off I mean I could kind of tell because there was a a light kind of shining close to where it was and it kind of turned around at one point and looked at me, and it, ha it, ha it looked like it had a black body and a white face, and it, it just turned and it ran off. Well, I went over there with my dog to kind of try to see where it went, and my dog went to where it had been by this fence, and it freaked out. Now, now my dog is going to be, um, it's going to be 13 years old in a couple of weeks, and I'm telling you, he was running so fast and so hard to get away from that scent 
he was pulling me, pulling me, and he did not stop till he got to the road far away from that creature. So I'm like, oh my goodness, what was that, you know? And and I uh, went home and I and I called my daughter and I told her about it and and she had stayed here over um, the week before that and she had been walking with her dog and she said that she had come across the creature and she just didn't really think anything more about it. She came across this creature and she couldn't really see the coloring but her thoughts that went through her head were that it moved in such an odd kind of disjointed manner and that it was too big to be a cat and the coloring was so odd on it but she couldn't really see the coloring very well so she didn't think anything more about it until I told her my story. So then I called my mom and told her and she said that my stepbrother just a few days before that was driving over from the south side of Hannibal and it was kind of late evening but it was before dark and he saw a creature that he thought looked like a chupacabra and he turned around and tried to go back and, and look for it but he couldn't find it again and then I was telling my friend that lives out in the country a couple of miles out of town about it and he's you know he's a country boy he's lived out in the country all his life and he said you know the oddest thing he said in all my years I've never heard a sound like this but he heard this sound that sounded like this high-pitched scream a sound like he's never heard before and he said it just made his blood curdle he's never heard a sound like that it frightened him so and you know each of these incidences each of these incidences alone wouldn't really you know make you think but all of them happening within a week's period I thought was quite strange but that was it I never heard any or saw anything more about it you know and it was gone now how big was it you say it was bigger than a cat Yes, yes. Was it um, like a cat or, or did it have more hair? No, it didn't look to have fur. It didn't look to have fur. It was like smooth, you know. Like a dog's coat or something. Like, yeah, not like my dog's coat, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it definitely wasn't a dog. It definitely didn't move like a dog. Now you said it had a scent. Was it a scent only your dog could pick up? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And it just made a beeline for home. That was it. Oh, my goodness. I've never seen him react like that. He was definitely scared. Did you feel scared? Were you afraid at the time? Or was it only after? No, no I wasn't really scared. Not, not during that time, no. No, I can't say that I felt frightened. Now, chupacabras, I thought they were only associated with Puerto Rico. Apparently not. Not can anymore. It seems like they're us? being... Let's dive into that then. <laughs> Well, it seems like they're being seen everywhere. I mean, um, can you describe them for our audience that is unaware? Well, um, I, they, they're described different different ways. Let me see if I can find the the chapter here in my book real quick because it just I mean they're they're normally um, oh about the size of a large dog and uh, often they're described as being um, hairless, you know, just just totally hairless, and um, so they don't walk up right then. No. Okay. When creatures are spotted in so many different places like that, yes. they sometimes tend to be called by different names. You know, like for instance, I wrote a, a, a chapter about the Ohio Grassman, but you know, that's just another version of Momo, the Missouri Missouri monster, which is just another version of Bigfoot. They're all they're all just different versions of Bigfoot, in, in my opinion. You know, and they're just given different names depending on where they're spotted. In Texas, there were quite a few sightings of the chupacabra. Actually, I was um, driving to Texas, or through Texas to go to California a few years ago, and I took a little break, and I, 
um, looked out across the desert and I saw this creature. It was at night and I couldn't tell what it was, but all I know is it had red eyes. Red eyes. And you don't see creatures with red eyes, you know. I mean, not unless they're reflecting light back and that, that wasn't what was happening. So that was kind of frightening, but didn't like move or come towards me or anything, you know, so I didn't feel the need to like rush away or anything like that. But Is there um, any cases that you came across where the chupacabra had attacked either livestock or pets or anything along those lines? Yes, definitely, definitely. Because actually, you know, chupacabra means um, to suck, and then it, then cabra means goat, right. and that's you know they they've, they've um, attacked many livestock, actually sucking the blood from um, from from goats. I don't know why my dog is barking. <laughs> you can't, can you hear him barking? Yeah, if you see red eyes in the window, eh? <laughs> you just let me know. <laughs> Maybe there's one outside your window right now. I'm not trying to freak you out. Um, so, okay, so there, there's a history of these things, right? Oh, um, yes. Why yes. do you think they, they've gone global, so to speak, instead of just staying in Puerto Rico where they first originated? That's an interesting question. Um, perhaps they've been brought here by individuals for some reason or another. You know, so they were, perhaps, and, and perhaps they wanted to start breeding them on our planet. Just speculation. Be. You never know. That sounds as good a reason as any to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our guest tonight, folks, Dina Westbud. We're looking at her book. Um, the Wiser Field Guide to Cryptozoology, Werewolves, Dragons, Skyfish, Lizardmen, and Other Fascinating Creatures, Real and Mysterious. www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. As always, we'll take you to a spot where you can order it from the comfort of your own home. The first chapter of my book is about rods or skyfish. Yeah. And it's so funny because I had I had remembered when I was a kid seeing a documentary on TV that mentioned that. And then I, I didn't hear the term again for so long that I thought I might have imagined it or dreamed it until I started doing research for this book and discovered that, you know, they do exist and they're fascinating creatures. I I'll have an opportunity at some point to go to uh, Joplin, Missouri, where a friend of mine, he does sky fishing, you know, he videotapes these creatures, he captures them on film, these creatures ranging from just a few, a few inches to, to, you know, 30, 40 feet, and they undulate all around us, but, but they're moving at speeds too fast for the human eye to perceive them, but they're everywhere, and um, that's just, that to me is one of the most amazing cryptids. Do a lot of these creatures, do they stay in geographical areas? Now, we know the chupacabra we just discussed has left Puerto Rico <laughs> and is starting to spread. But things like rods, things like skyfish, is it, do they tend to stay in geographical areas? And the reason I'm asking is because of temperature, perhaps uh, food source, that type of thing. Well, they've been captured everywhere, even on planes moving through the sky. You know, they, they're... Yes, so so skyfish are, are everywhere, but um, I don't know, you know, it seems like there's so many more people, and it's probably getting more and more difficult for for creatures to to stay in one place. It seems like they're probably having to, you know, move to other areas to survive. To survive. Has anybody ever caught one, to your knowledge? Oh, a skyfish? Um, just 
just on video. Just on you know. video. Yes. Okay. You know, when I think of cryptozoology, I always think of these creatures that are out in the woods, deep in the woods, deep in the forest, um, non-urban areas. Has there ever been any reports of any creatures that can't be identified living underneath cities, perhaps in catacombs, perhaps in the sewer system? You know, I always think back to those old urban legends about New York where there's supposed to be big, huge alligators living in the sewers down there, or uh, boa constrictors, you know, we know that's a fact as well, because they've now inhabited South, South Florida. Um, is there any reports of hybrid creatures like that? Definitely, there are. I mean, um, giant rats of New York City. And I remember as a kid Ooh. hearing about, you know, giant rats being being in the, the subways and such, you know, 40 years ago. There's always reports of, of creatures that people have brought home and then they grow too big for them to be able to, to take care of. And so, you know, they, they dump them in the sewer system where they, they grow and change and <laughs> turn into who knows what. <laughs> in any of these cases that you came across that you were reporting on, have they started to hunt humans? Because I'm thinking, you know, you always hear people are going to go out and find, I don't know, a chupacabra. And if they come across one, not only are they going to net it and capture it, they're probably going to shoot it or do something silly like that. Has there been a reversal of that at all? Have they started hunting us? Hmm. Well, I mean, there's always been attacks by all, all kinds of different creatures. I write of lots of different attacks in, in my book. The, um, gosh, the, those creatures in Kentucky, the Kentucky goblins that attacked that family there. And, oh, tell and, us that story. Tell us that story. Oh, my goodness. It was, in, um, it was in the summer of 1955, and these two families lived in the, um, oh, the, the western Ohio Valley, and they... Um, they were attacked by these creatures that just landed one night and they just, oh, they, they, the one, it was like three or four foot tall and it was humanoid and it kind of glowed, its skin kind of looked metallic looking and it glowed the first one they saw. And then just more and more of them started like coming up over the hill and they had seen, they had seen a light flash across the sky earlier. So they thought these had to be aliens, you know, they were scared to death and they came and they were like, banging on the windows and doing all these different things and so um but they weren't really hurting anybody they really weren't hurting anybody these creatures weren't at first but um then the men got frightened and started shooting at them and so then the creatures tried to retaliate a little bit but the, the people got away and they they went to town and they told the sheriff and they got the sheriff and everybody to come out there and there was no sign of these creatures and they did find a little bit of um, like this green substance on the fence that they couldn't they couldn't figure out, but they didn't like try to take a sample to find, figure out what it was. I don't know. This was 1955. But so the sheriff, everybody left. You know, they stayed for a couple of hours, couldn't find anything, so they left. And right after they left, these creatures showed back up again, and they started like you know peeking in the windows at them and different things. And um, but then they left and they didn't come back. But these people, you know, they would not back down about their story these two families and eventually they had to move they had to leave town because people would make fun of them they didn't they didn't believe them you know but gosh you know look at the the mothman you know that 
that was quite a, a story. He attacked people, you know. Can you tell and, that story for the folks that are unaware and haven't seen the movie? In West Virginia, and I think the first the first sighting was in uh, 1961. A uh, father and a daughter spotted this creature, and it it attacked the the father, and the daughter had to like help her father get away from this creature. Some fellows working in a cemetery saw it a few months later. And it was and like then, a big owl or something they described it as. Yes, but it was Huge. like the size of a human. Human being. Yes. Yeah. And then they just kept, people kept seeing it more and more often. And there were a few reports of it, uh, of attacks. But the main thing, the, that bridge collapsed, the, the sightings kept increasing. And then that bridge collapsed over the Ohio River. And then after that, there were no more sightings. So... There, there's still speculation as to whether the Mothman might have been there tr to try to warn people that this was going to happen or if perhaps he didn't cause it to happen, you know. Folks, if you're just joining us, lots of time left. Settle in, get the coffee going, the tea going, a beverage of your choice going, of course. We're talking about cryptozoology tonight with Dina Westbud. She's written a book, The Wiser Real Guide to Cryptozoology, Werewolves, Dragons, Skyfish, lizard men and other fascinating creatures real and mysterious and we're talking about all kinds of uh, myths uh some real ones as well like chupacabra we've been talking about and um we just finished speaking of course about mothman which is uh, was made into a movie with richard greer um did you come up with anything for that yes um thunderbirds that's interesting because because um actually not too far from here in lawndale Illinois. This little boy, his name is Marvin Lowe, and he, he was playing out and back with a bunch of his friends. They were having, you know, back then they always had barbecues. This was in like the 1950s, or actually this was in 1977. I had thought it was earlier. But anyway, they were having um, they were having a barbecue, and it was, a, it was a summer day, and this huge, huge bird just swooped down and picked up this 10-year-old boy and was carrying him off. And his mom, mother, saw it happening, so she's running and screaming after him, you know, um, for the creature to drop the bird. And finally, it did, or the creature to drop the boy. And it finally did drop him, finally. But, um, man, I, I read something recently that indicated that that, that incident still causes him, causes him problems. But that would be so frightening to be, oh, I mean, he was yeah. swooping way up above the, the treetops, you know. Wouldn't that, I can't even imagine such a thing. It must have been one big bird. That's all it I can It was huge, say. yes. Yeah, absolutely yes. huge. And, you know, things like that can happen. I mean, when we think of um, sharks or octopuses, you know, the deeper you go when you try to find an octopus, um, the bigger they get for some reason. Turtles will grow as big as they can uh, as long as they're not uh, put in a small, tiny box or anything. So, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities. That why not a bird? Why not? I mean... There are tall people, um, abnormally tall, if you will, that will reach over seven feet. So why not a bird with a 40-foot wingspan or something along those lines? Possibilities. There are possibilities well, and unfounded creatures out there that, that we have yet to wrap our minds around. And I think it's exciting so what we're doing. Absolutely so exciting. You were about to say something. Well, it's just that, you know, during that summer, there were, for hundreds, it wasn't just that one incident. There were hundreds and hundreds of sightings, you know, of this huge bird. So, and actually, um, oftentimes two of them were seen together. So, you know, I get a lot of people asking me, "What's the difference between 
what's known as a goblin, um, a leprechaun, could those in fact be small types of offshoots of greys, the alien greys? Just speculation here, that's all, we're just talking. What are your thoughts? It's certainly possible. You know, I, I certainly believe that anything is possible. I, I think they could be creatures that come through, you know, sometimes openings to other dimensions, um, let different creatures through. could be from the future even, who knows? The Komodo dragon, were there any reports of, you know, because the Komodo dragon, here's a, a mytholo mythological creature, folks, that everybody thought did not exist at all until 1912 when they actually found one. Are there any stories like that that you can tell us? That something that we thought what? was absolutely just not real, and all of a sudden, here you go, it's right in your face. Well, you know, if you... If you... <laughs> If you look at the the footage of those rods, those skyfish, you'll see that you'll. I don't see how you couldn't believe that they're real because. Yeah, I agree. I've seen that. You have. Yeah, I've yeah. Because I think that's amazing. I think they're just amazing. And and what 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 about like giant spiders? You know, I mean, my son came back from from Iraq talking about these huge spiders that were as big as dinner plates. You know, I mean. If you see something he, like that around here. <laughs> did he serve in Iraq? Yes. Oh, thank him for his service, please, for all of us. Oh, I will. Thank you very much. So these so these big giant... Oh, I don't like spiders. Oh, yes. Like spiders. He was freaked out. He was throwing everything. He threw, He was throwing all of his equipment. <laughs> these spiders. He didn't care. He was. He could not believe the size of, of these spiders. They were well, I think that's a very good example. You know, like we have a set size in mind. Um, or a set set of properties for certain creatures. And when they break those modes, when they come out of uh, their shells, so to speak, and freak us out, we kind of go, whoa, <laughs> it's kind of frightening. And, yes. you know, when we think of the dog community as well, I mean, how many different types of dogs is there? Uh, and then there's the, the canine thing too. We get into wolves and things like that. Um, going back to the werewolf thing, Linda Godfrey was on... Um, the show and she was talking about wolf men if you will or wolf creatures that stand, look like wolves but stand upright did you come across anything like that in your research oh oh definitely definitely this has always fascinated me because there are so many people that have seen the same type of creature i believe there's got to be something to it kind of like a jane goodall right i mean when so many people come forward and tell you the same story there's got to be something to it well, maybe right. there's a, a rational, quote-unquote, explanation for it, but I think it's the mysteries in the world are there for us, folks, and I think they're all worth going after and looking at, you know, at, without causing harm to these creatures and coming, approaching it with respect to a fellow living creature. And I think this is what we have to do in all cases, not just hunt them down as a trophy. Oh, yes. I. Oh, right, definitely. Definitely. I, well, my chapter about werewolves is um, mainly about the Beast of Bray Road. Do you do you remember that? Yeah, tell it again, though. Okay. Um, aware of it. This was in um, Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and um, I think the first sighting was in 1936. And um, but then the, the sightings kind of stopped, and they started again in the 1980s. And it, and it's a hairy, wolf-like animal that walks on its hind legs with human-like hands and feet. Um, ranges from five feet to eight feet in height and weighs several hundred pounds. 
and it smells terrible, <laughs> usually of decaying meat. Often reported to uh, appear to have a lot of intelligence, and yes, he will yes. stare. He will stare at, at his victims. The Beast of Bray Road has been called the most famous of American werewolves because of so many sightings of him in the Wisconsin area. Did you come across any lake creatures? Um, you know, I live right on Lake Ontario. Please tell me there's nothing in Lake Ontario when I go swimming. <laughs> well, you never know <laughs> what's underneath that water, man. <laughs> but I did come across a lot of interesting water creatures. Um, I wrote about the bunyips, which are water horses. Can and you tell us that? Um, that, that, I was shocked when I read that. This is actually part of Australian folklore, and they're considered to be uh, very aggressive and dangerous but they have supernatural characteristics. And they're actually, bunyips are they're water spirits, and they live in the waters of the continent. And um, they make this frightening, thundering, booming sound. And they um, were sighted throughout the 1800s quite often. And they are, um, there's also a reference to one in 1812. And they're said to be about the size of a small calf or a pony and kind of resemble a sheepdog with with black, although some say that, that, you know, the colors can vary. Some have even said white, shaggy hair. They have wings, fins, flippers, claws, tusks, scales, and feathers, <laughs> and a bulldog-like face. Sounds like a Canadian politician. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making jests now, of course. Well, now, as an extension of that, because they're much bigger than I thought, mermaids. You know, here's the tale of the hybrid between a beautiful woman and a fish. Uh, I don't know where this lore came from or originated from, but has there been any sightings of mermaids in the modern, if you will, the 20th or 21st century? Oh, yes, there have. Really? Well, yes. I didn't know that. You've got to tell me this now. <laughs> People are always, yeah, I've come across. Come and where on. can I find her? I mean... <laughs> a couple of stories of people who have, have claimed to have encountered mermaids. Wow. Yes, I'm sure I'm sure that you have too if you think about it. I, where where were they? Where were the mermaids? Were they in an exotic place when they came across? No, no. I, I think there was one um, somewhere in England. Blockness. You, you know, we went over to England all of a sudden, so I thought we'd just go north to Scotland. We talk about Loch Ness. Has there been any sightings? I heard Nessie hasn't been seen in something like 50 years or something like that. Yeah, I've heard that too. A long, long time. Um, it's neat to speculate, though, because this could be just, as they say, a long-lost dinosaur, right? I mean, we keep finding these creatures everywhere that we thought were extinct, like the Komodo dragon. And right. all of a sudden, guess what? Here they are right in our backyard. So I think the possibility... Magical world. It, it really is, isn't it? It's... Uh, just delightful. Hannibal is the boyhood home of Mark Twain. Yes. So, um, I yes. Yeah, so that. he, yeah. you know, it's talked about a lot in his books. And in, in, in his autobiography, you can read some amazing stories of things that happened in Hannibal. There's a lot of history here. And the buildings in downtown on the main street are very old, very old. And, um, Many of the business owners feel that the, the, they're haunted. Is there any mm -hmm. stories of Mark Twain in and around the area? 
perhaps? You know, because I, I often hear that when a spirit passes over, um, if they don't go to the light, then they'll go back to a place where they were happiest on this earth. And this is why you find a lot of farmers hanging around their old farmhouses, because they were happy there, right? I mean, farming is, is a wonderful thing to do. It's right. a wonderful uh, livelihood. And if you're happy there, you know, you're, you're at the field by yourself and stuff like that. Why not spend eternity at home? You know, you put the true. hockey game on that's Saturday true. night and that's it. You're good to go. So I'm, is there any stories about Mark Twain that it may be sightings? No, I think that no, right? okay. he probably he probably moved on. He wanted to be with his, he was so depressed, you know, after he had a lot of tragedies in his later years and he lost his daughter. Um, and he, I really think that he would have been happy to move on to to be with his family, his wife, his daughters. You know, he he was ready. He would have been ready to go. But we, I did have, I've got a fascinating photograph from, um, you know, you hear about Mark Twain Cave, the been in this the story he wrote. You know, Tom and Becky got lost in the cave, and of course, there really is a cave here. This is the Mark really? Twain Cave. Wow. Oh yes. Oh my goodness, it's cool. It's a cool cave. And um, there, we had, I had an opportunity with a friend to be able to uh, go in there before they started the tours early one morning. And, and there had been, there've always been people, the tour guides are always talking about weird things that happen in this cave. They're always like one, one thing that they see a lot, they see the image of a little girl. Now, there was a doctor about a hundred years ago or so, and he, Dr. McDowell, and he um, he owned the cave. He was he lived in St. Louis and he practiced in St. Louis, but he owned Mark Twain Cave at that time. And his daughter died mysteriously. Oh. And so he did this experiment on her by putting her in this this uh, pickle pickle um, cask thing, and he stored her in the cave. And Mark Twain Cave all alone in the dark there in that cave. You know her body was in there and. The kids in town would go and they, you know, they knew how to get into that cave. There were lots of ways to get in. And they would pull her hair, she'd pull her up by the hair of her head, you know, and no. scare their friends. And stuff. Yes. And so the parents started um, freaking out about this. And they wanted, they told the doctor that, that he had to get his daughter out of that cave, that he had to remove her body. But when you take the tour, you know, of the Mark Twain cave, they'll show you where he stored her body. You know, they'll show you. And there's lots of paranormal activity around that area. And like I said, they see a little girl in that cave a lot. So I, well, I got to go in there early one day, and I got this really awesome photograph. I'm walking behind the uh, tour guide who's showing us some of the areas where they've seen the paranormal activity. And there's this weird light between the two of us. And it's, you know, it's dark in the cave. We, she has a flashlight ahead of her, and then I have my flashlight over here. But... There's this weird light between the two of us, and um, my friend, who was part of a paranormal investigative group at the time, he sent that off to, to have them examine that photograph. They couldn't find any reasonable explanation for that light. So I do think there's a lot of paranormal activity in that cave, but I don't think it's Mark Twain. It almost sounds like an apparition it perhaps appeared between the two of you. It does. It, it does. Yes. Famous. Yeah. So the, is the little girl laid to rest in that graveyard that's near you, or is that little girl? No, he took her back to St. Louis. Okay. And, you know, if you 
if you research him, his tale is quite interesting. He was almost like a Frankenstein. I mean, Dr. Really? Frankenstein, he got ran out of town for because he would do experiments on people. He would have the dead bodies brought to him, and he did all these things, and he had quite a reputation. It sounds like his little girl may have been a catalyst for him to go a little bit on the uh, macabre, insane side, maybe in, in some kind of freakish way to try and bring her back to life. I'm not sure. I mean, that could be to store somebody in a glass container in a cave. That's a little unusual, I'd say. I always heard of this interesting story about my great grandfather, and he evidently operated a dray service in this area. And um, they, when they were building a highway through, they had to move a cemetery. They had to move the bodies, and, and so he, the story is that they lifted the, the coffin, the casket, onto the, the, the wagon, and um, it, it slid off, and the lid fell off, and there were all these scratch marks where that person had been buried alive. Oh. Evidently, that happened all the time, you know, oh back, back then. There's a, uh, the family are still attorneys, Briscoe is his name, and um, probably 70 years ago or so, he was struck by lightning while riding a horse here in, in this area. And um, they thought he was dead. He woke up right when they were getting ready to bury him, and it freaked him out that he was so afraid that, that he was going to be buried alive. So we made provisions that he would be buried in this glass crypt with this hoe and other tools so that he could get out if he was buried alive. And sure enough, that's what they did because I've been there. And it's in the middle of this cow pasture. This glass crypt is in the middle of this cow pasture. And it's got, well, actually, it's not all glass, just the, the front panel's glass. And you can look in there and you can see the bones. Now, evidently, at one point, a cow had like did some damage to it and it had to be repaired and they did not put the bones back exactly right. So the bones are a little bit disorganized, but you can see the skull and it's got like green growing on it. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you really are a paranormal investigator. You don't know what I went through to be able to get out there to see that. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> I see it again. <laughs> it's funny, you know, because one of the things that they used to do in the 1700s uh, on the ships, if a person was to pass away, they would wrap them up in a blanket. And then sew the blanket up, and the last stitch would go through the person's nose to make sure that they were dead. And then they would put them overboard. Because I guess this was a common occurrence, right? Bring out, I always think of Monty Python, bring out your dead, I'm not dead yet, and then they bonk him on the head. Um, it's funny to laugh at this, but this was a, a real concern because there were so many diseases and very few ways to tell if a person had actually passed away in those days. I mean, moder it wasn't modern medicine by any sense. I mean, there's voodoo traditions where people have been buried and then come back to life because they had taken some kind of drug or something that made them appear dead, completely dead. And then we hear of people coming back to life, especially in Haiti. Um, so, you know, it's not that far-fetched, uh, especially with the scratching. Apparently, that was very common. So mm -hmm. that's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Cryptozoology, let's talk a little bit about your wonderful book, The Wiser Field Guide to Cryptozoology, Werewolves, Dragons, Skyfish, Lizard Men, and Other Fascinating Creatures. Lizard Men. I knew you were going to talk about that one next for some reason. Because <laughs> you're clairvoyant as well. No, I'm not. The way you said Lizard Men. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out Lizard Men. For some reason, I'm thinking of Bill Murray and... Um, 
that Skitty used to do on Saturday Night Live yes, as the yeah, lounge yeah. singer. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? <laughs> Dan Aykroyd just lives up the street, by the way. Are you serious? Yeah. Um, the reason why he, I had his dad on the show. His dad's a wonderful guy. I, I, oh, my goodness, you did? Oh, I wish I could. Is that in your archives? It sure is. It's called Ghostbusters. And he tells okay. the true tale of why Dan wrote Ghostbusters. You had mentioned that you do seances before. Uh-huh. They used to do seances in Dan's country house. And I he grew up around that. spirituality and uh, got into the paranormal UFOs. And uh, that's why he wrote Ghostbusters, but as a comedy. I do want to tell you that um, I had the fortune to have my children be able to do some of the um, illustrations for my book because they're both very talented um, in that regard, whereas I am not. Do you want to hold some up to the camera so people can see them? Well, here's one. No, you can't see it very well, can you? No. (laughs) It's okay. It'll come out. It'll come out. It'll be okay. Lizard Man Escape or South Carolina. And this was in the swamps of Bishopville. And uh, this was a seven foot tall bipedal creature with well defined muscles, green scaly skin, and orange glowing eyes. And he was frequently spotted in the summer of 1988. He had three finger hands ending in four inch black fingernails and three toed feet with circular pads that would stick to flat surfaces. Mm. Um, the first encounter was on June 29th of 1988. It was about 2 in the morning, and a kid was driving home from work. His tire blew. He had just finished changing the tire, and he turned around to see um, this creature about 25 feet, yards away from him, and he was running directly toward him. And he looked strong and angry, and he tried to tear the car door out of this kid's hands, and then he jumped on the roof. And so the kid was just trying to drive away, you know, and he kept swerving from side to side like I would think I would do, too, if somebody was like on the roof of my vehicle (laughs) Uh, trying to throw the beast off. And so um, he finally got the beast off of the car, but um, there were scratch marks on his roof and the side mirror was damaged and they took plaster casts of the tracks and they were spaced four feet apart and labeled as unclassifable. Unclassifiable. That's And, you know, you said 1988, and I was thinking, okay, 1888, but, you know, there's a car involved in it. So this is a <laughs> fairly recent modern sighting. It right? is. And this is what's it fascinating is. about these, all the stories in your book. They're not just legends. These are modern sightings. Right, right. A lot of them are. Um, there's a, actually a radio station, WCOS, that uh, visited the town, and they offered a million dollars to anyone who could capture the beast alive. Alive. But the, yeah. they stopped seeing sightings at the end of the summer. So, Jeez, I wonder what happened to it. Very, very interesting stuff. It almost sounds like a reptilian. You know, you hear the UFO. Uh, they say, oh. yeah. I right. If, I wonder if that was. Yeah. Oh, that's quite a connection. I hadn't thought about that. We're going to have to start to wrap up, but uh, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this, uh, Dina. It was a very, very pleasurable uh, time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Folks, Dina Westbud has been our guest tonight. Her book is called The Wiser Field Guide to Cryptozoology, Werewolves, Dragons, Skyfish, Lizardmen, and Other Fascinating Creatures, Real and Mysterious, including her ex, apparently. And... uh, (laughs) 
www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest book cover. That's going to take you right to a spot where you can order the book from that comfort of your own home. And don't go near Lake Ontario for fear of something coming up and grabbing your toes. <laughs> I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thanks a lot for joining us, folks. See you next time. Inside the Oval Office to Davy Plaza. First person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com.